Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 320, Spieldis Yaris nominees for 2021. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, everyone, we're back. And for this special episode, we are talking about one of the most special award ceremonies <laughs> in board gaming out there, the Spiel des Yaris. We wait for it every year. It comes out every year. It almost disappoints us every year. I don't know about you, Anthony. How are you feeling about this year? I don't know, man. Like, yeah, the Spiel des Yaris, if, if you're not familiar, which if you're listening mm-hmm. to this, you probably are. But if you're not, because we got to be careful. Uh, Thank you. This is- Good call. Exactly. This is like the Oscars of board games. And it is. really what it is, is it's the game of the year in Germany. So yes, it is. And <laughs> Germany is the birthplace of all modern board games. Like I know there's amazing American style board games, but Germany is where is that Euro games? That is German style games, right? Absolutely. And the Spiel des Jahres is them saying these are the best board games for these categories. And they have mm-hmm. the Spiel des Jahres itself, which is family weight game, which is generally very light stuff. You know, past winners are like Codenames and Azul, Ticket to Ride. Uh, the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, which is the gamers games, which is what we would probably consider medium weight games. So past winners sure. are like Wingspan, Gloomhaven. And then they have the Kinderspiel, which is kid games, little kid games. Yeah. And the rules are, it has to have been published in Germany in that time. So we're going to go through them today and you'll see like a few of these games that they're mentioning came out several years ago here in the US. And there's reasons for that. They didn't come out in Germany, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's big factors in there are like how good the rule book is, because I know they don't yes. always like part of the nomination process. They don't play the game. They read the rule book and if the rule books are bad. Sure. You're out. So, um, and then you'd be well-written rules, clear, concise. It's very German <laughs> the way they go through that very much. Um, but it is considered the cream of the creme. Everybody cares. We pay attention. We talk about it every year. And, uh, honestly, the, the main argument we end up having every year is, isn't this game a little bit lighter than last year? <laughs> that they're getting lighter every year. These games are really light. Is it too light? Um, I, I don't. I don't think this year is terrible in that regard. But we'll, we'll talk through them later. Yeah, that'll be our feature review. So stick with us as we talk about the highlights from this Kennerspiel 2021 nominees. Always a good discussion. A lot of fun. Even if you don't agree with the the picks, they obviously have their own metrics for it, and the metrics make sense as Anthony was talking about, but. Um, we'll get more into that in a little bit. But again, uh, thanks to all our patrons. Thanks you for you to watch. Thanks you for listening. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you're on one of our many different social media players. But obviously, whether it's a podcast or you're watching on YouTube, we would really appreciate if you would go to YouTube right now on your phone, online, and if you would just subscribe there. We're trying to hit 1,000 viewers on YouTube. We've been putting up our podcast there for years and trying to put some more video content up there. But we do need to hit 1,000 in order to kind of make that happen. So, again, appreciate your support, and thanks for subscribing. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with us. We should also mention that there is something going on with our very own partners, Tabletop Toys. You might have already seen an announcement that we made on Facebook that we have partnered with Tabletop Toys, and our friends there put out video reviews Uh, box openings, and a whole bunch of other things about really fun toys that are out there in the industry. So you will mainly see them 
on TikTok and on Instagram, but you'll also find their video content on our very own YouTube channel. You can also find direct links to their channels on our website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. So if you go over there and you search on top for Tabletop Toys, you will see a link there for all of their different accounts. So if you use TikTok, follow Tabletop Toys because they're working with us to get more games and more toys out to you everywhere. And definitely, absolutely, positively, check out their very first review on Board Gamers Anonymous on YouTube. It's really playing a real kind of fun tabletop toy uh, where you're kind of like cracking through all of these different artifacts in order to get these really great stones. So that's from Cosmo Games and Toys. So check all of that out. Love to see you there. And hopefully we'll be able to do more toy content in the future on top of the normal board game content. Because in the end, we're board gamers because we like to play with toys. All right, I admitted it. We're done, right? <laughs> That's my legal. I'm, I'm good with the lawyers now. I admitted it openly, right? Yeah, you're good, man. We got you. All right, yeah. <laughs> I, told, I, I used to tell people, I'm like, why are you going for a PhD in uh, developmental psychology? And I'm like, well... Blah, blah, blah. Save, you know, save the children. But why are you really doing it? I want to play with toys and kids got the cool toys. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, if you could save the world, save children and get to play with toys in the meantime, why not? Right. We never really grow up and toys are awesome right now. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen toys, but they're really great. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll have a lot more content and we'll have more information from Tabletop Toys in future episodes. All right, Anthony. So again, that's what's going on with us. What's that's what's going on with our partners. Let's talk about what's going on with our listeners and our viewers. What's our question of the week? All right, question of the week this week. What's a game that, regardless of preferences of mechanics, every board gamer should play at least once in their life? So <laughs> don't say, "Oh, I don't like worker placement. I don't like deck building, whatever." No. no, what games should everybody absolutely play at least once in their life? And so, like, you see these questions a lot with movies, especially. Like, sure. what's, what are the movies you absolutely have to see before you die? What are the board games you absolutely have to play before you die? So, here are the ones that people recommended. So, first up, we have wow. Ryan, who says, and this is an interesting one, Risk 2210 AD. So, he says, specifically, if you have aspirations of game design, it's what your homebrew sci-fi Risk expansion would look like polished and officially published. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of pointing out this is like taking the original, like an old game and showing what happens when people play with it and just do interesting things, which I think is very true. Having played this, um, Absolutely. it really did kind of revamp risk quite a bit. Yeah, I would I would recommend I throw a recommendation or a follow up recommendation to Ryan. There is Rick's legacy. If you like risk or you want to see risk done differently, I haven't played Pandemic. So forgive me. I mean, I play Pandemic, but not Pandemic Legacy. Risk Legacy is an experience, man. I, I'm telling you, it's it's right. definitely risk done right, as far as I'm concerned. Right, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I I still need to play that. I need to find a group. You guys played it without I think... me. I never got a chance to play it. <laughs> <laughs> I I I've told that story one day, maybe on our Patreon backed episodes. I will tell that story just because. It needs to be hidden behind a paywall just in case it gets out. <laughs> but that was yeah. one of the most crazy stories ever. Uh, I don't know. Well, you and I will have to play it. Maybe we could drag Jack yeah. into it or some other people 
And because, uh, yeah, th- there's a story behind it. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that story. It's good. Uh, all right. Some other stuff that people have mentioned. Nathaniel mentions Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. I 100% yeah. agree. I'm Me sure too. there's plenty of people out there that would play this and be like, way too much. I can't do it. My brain is exploding. Agree, yeah. It's too long. But you should play it once. One time. Just do it. It's like Citizen Kate yeah. or Godfather. You just <laughs> sit down for the four hours it takes and just do it. Yeah, I I, I love this question because I also agree with the responses here with Ryan and Nathaniel here. Because again, there are games that are so definitive that you do need to experience them, even if it's not your game, just because you need to understand and experience that kind of world. Yeah, 100%. And I think, yeah, Twilight Imperium really does that. Um, we did have a couple of people mention Gloomhaven, which I think is fair, because that's similar thing. That's like, it's the number one game of all time. You should at least know why. You know, why is everybody so <laughs> um, again? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Then you'd be done, right? And some of you will be hooked and play all 140-something scenarios, and some of you will be like, I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> Martin mentions a game, kind of probably in preview for one of our next episode or two, Kemet. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know if this game is essential on my list, but I can understand other people. I know some people who are absolutely obsessed with this game and other similar games. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexander mentions Carcassonne, and I think honestly okay. any entry level, you know, a gateway type of game would fit the bill. Like if you're gonna, and that's the thing. Like for me, the first four or five years of board gaming, I did not play Carcassonne because it was not a game that the group sure. that I was in was playing at the time. I played Dominion, I played Ticket to Ride, I played all these other gateway games, I just didn't play Carcassonne. And then I finally did, and I said, oh, cool, I get it. I see where all these different things come from, and I haven't played it since, because, again, you know, <laughs> it's it's been done better. Um, Victoria mentions Root. I agree with Root. I think Root is fantastic, and is a game everybody should play at least once, because if you have never played a war game and you're really nervous about doing it, Root is probably the most accessible way to get into a war game of any kind, right? Except maybe like two-player card type of things. Mm-hmm. So definitely recommend Root. It's pretty accessible. It's relatively easy to learn. There's a digital version of it. Definitely hit that up. Mm-hmm. And then a couple people mentioned it, and so I'm going to say it. I don't know if I would do it, but Agricola as like the essential <laughs> farming worker placement game, Yeah, you know, it is the, the, I would go with Caverna, but Agricola is probably more essential here. Like if you're going to play one, it should probably be, yeah. this, right? I, I think so, because again, the experience that you want to have farming is the experience that thematically um, is appropriate, which is you're farming, but there's no, you're not sure if you're going to be able to feed your family. You know, it's that weird kind of feed your people kind of experience that, only comes out in full force with Agricola. I mean, yeah, certainly you play Stone Age and you need to get food for your people, but it's almost like, did you place your worker there or not? I don't know. Maybe like it's intentional, <laughs> right? But in Caverna, you really need the actions. the The worker placement is cutthroat in that game. So if you know if you can't harvest or you can't plow or you can't whatever it is that you need to do. Or if you don't have the right cooking engine to be able to do that, then you can't feed your own family, not to mention score points. And that is a kind of weird, intense anxiety that is, in fact, for me, pleasurable. It's like one of those things like it's a roller coaster situation. Am I going to get enough 
you know, enough seed. Oh, I got enough. Am I going to be able to plow the fields? Ah, I, I did it. I was able to get, did I was able to produce enough food? Oh, I was able to get that one extra piece of food that made everything okay. And that's weirdly a good experience, but I don't think you get that anywhere else up but Agricola. Caverna is a little too um, loose as far as that's concerned. I think it's a better game, but I think it's it's more loose. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Certainly a better game. I I, I give I, I I enjoy Caverna better because I think that Agricola, you have to know the cards, and that's just not fair for everybody, especially if they're new to the table. Caverna does does a better job um, offering opportunities, but the can you feed your people thing, I think is essential. It's an essential gamer thing as far as that's going forward. But um, how about you, Anthony? Is there any essential games that regardless of preferences or mechanics people should play? I don't know. I was trying to think about this. Um, mm-hmm. I think all the stuff I really love is super heavy. Uh, oh. So like I, I was going to say spirit Island, but that's, a oh. decently complicated game that's kind of rough to put people through so if you're going to boil that back down a little bit maybe you get down to like a defenders of the realm or a pandemic even oh, yeah. um good point play something cooperative i think that's like one of the key elements of board gaming is to play with other people and some people don't want to be competitive cooperative gaming yeah. is where it's at uh and for me it's spirit island but that's like up here on the difficulty level so scale it back as needed <laughs> i think that's a very good point because i think m- uh, modern gamers, not modern like designer board gamers, but modern gamers are probably very much familiar with, you know, um, player elimination as a mechanic. Right. And I think that was a surprising thing coming into the designer hobby that you don't get eliminated. You do get a chance to win the game. You do stay in the game. So that monopoly kind of situation where there's consequences that are going to make you unhappy. Uh, modern designer board game kind of takes that out. So I, I think that's a really good point. If you could play Spirit Island, I think you should. Because I think even like, you know, Nathaniel said here with TI4, Martin said with Kemet, I mean, I would throw in, and again, this is going to be an insane thing to say, but I think you should play Dominant Species. And the reason why oh, is yeah. it's the quintessential, you know, cubes on a board, like literal cubes, you know, cubes and cylinders. Like it's absurd. The, the the way that game looks is absurd. There's no there's nothing you can say about it. You're just like, I can't believe I'm playing this. And you say that for like three hours. You're just like, I can't believe I'm playing this. But the game does something so that's so thematically engaging about you worrying about your species, about all the things you have to do, about all the dramatic events that come into play that this very abstract, ultimate abstract game becomes thematic is alchemy it's just pure alchemy and it's just an experience to behold even though you'll never be able to shake the fact that you had that much fun with something that was as that basic as possible i mean you could say whatever you want to say about 18 double x but dominant species just it does something which it doesn't look like anything and somehow it's everything and somehow it's euro to the most euro degree and somehow it's as cutthroat as any amerithrash in the world and again, it's Parks and Recs, you know, it's, you know, Cones of Dunshire, you know, it's that kind of cultural um, meta, you know, f- you know, feel about like, oh, I know board games, I play Cones of Dunshire, which is again, Dominant Species, I guess in another format or Dominant Species Mates Catan or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the game that I've experienced that really has been, oh, this is, this is literally 
you know, a staple board game, along with Agricola, along with TI4, which I had heard legends of, like, it takes two days to play and then play it. I was like, oh, okay, this is good. I like this. I will play this again, but it was not, you know, it didn't scare me. It didn't blow my mind or anything like that, but it was still, like, a fantastic game. Uh, and then, like you said, the really good co-op games like Spirit Island is definitely something that uh, people should say. Um, obviously, I, I think also on the opposite end, a lot of people have been asking, like, I do think you should play Munchkin just once, even if you hate it. I think that's fun. I think it's fun that you could hate it. Um, it's one of those things where it's, it's dumb and silly and it's got great, funny little artwork. And once you play it once, you never have to play it again. <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> it's fair oh, i played it fair. twice and it was because it was a tournament and uh i'm good i'm good for good <laughs> it's just one of those things that you play to say that you played it's like one of those places where you go to places because people said to go there and you're like oh i could see the appeal maybe or i, I get the idea of this or i see what you wanted it to do with this it's not my thing i check it off the list and i can kind of move on so yeah that's a lot of fun so thank you all for hitting us up and let us know what your preference happens to be. Um, these question of the weeks or question of the day, in fact, happens every day on Facebook and Twitter. And again, if you can't find our social media and you should, please subscribe and join us. Check out BoardGamersAnonymous.com. There's a lot of great content there and you can find all of our connections and our social media platforms out there. And again, including Tabletop Toys. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with our listeners. Let's talk about the games that we want at the table, whether or not, in fact, regardless of persons or mechanics, you should definitely check out. And we'll let you know if those things are a lot of fun. So, Anthony, what's your acquisition disorder this week? All right. Yeah, I got one that's pretty fun. Um, uh-huh. It's a new Tim Towers game. And what they did is they threw a bunch of buzzwords into a blender and they spat it out. <laughs> that's great. And- and it even that's what it looks like in the in the graphic here. Solo deck building roguelike word game. So. Was there was, is there a mad lib of game design because that seems like I know. that seems like what he was doing. <laughs> it does and it like the graphic design is like that. So this is Paperback Adventures and it is, sure it is. a solo only deck building game because that's paperback done yeah. in a roguelike fashion uh and it's a word game because of course it is paperback. So I I famously, I don't famously, but I, I quite vocally said that I like hardback more than paperback. I got rid of my uh-huh. copy of paperback at some point along the way because I only needed one of them. But mm-hmm. this thing has me really excited to the point I've already backed it. So Ooh, acquisition is order no more. Future at the table. <laughs> it's there it's you coming. Go. Um, so the idea here is it's a roguelike. And it, so if you've played any of like the digital deck builders, uh, mm-hmm. like Hearthstone or you know, really any of those games, right? They usually have some kind of mode where you start with a deck and you defeat a boss and then you get new cards for defeating the boss and you like upgrade mm-hmm. your deck a little bit and then you do it again. Um, there's been some board games that kind of do a similar thing. Like uh, Baseball Highlights does that where you will upgrade your cards. You'll be able to purchase new cards in between rounds, um, kind of power up a little bit. Uh, the new Marvel Champions LCG expansion has like a campaign mode where you'll buy new cards between the scenarios that you do and kind of power up and it becomes kind of roguelike-ish but this one is is different in that you're going to face different things you're going to build your deck in different ways and it it looks really cool so it's using the core mechanics of paperback uh and you're going to get a core box when you buy it and the characters come separately 
So you have a core box with like all the enemy cards, reward cards, penalty cards, all that stuff in there. And then a character box. And there's going to be three to choose from. So each of these is like a protagonist you can play as. There's a damsel. Uh, there's a robot, ex machina. And a third one, which they're <laughs> going to announce next week. They haven't said Ooh. what it is yet. So it's going to be something pulpy because that's paperback's thing, right? Pulp fiction type stuff from the mid 20th century. So they've got the adventure. They've got the robot. So I'm thinking maybe like a horror type of thing. Uh, we'll see. I wonder how closely aligned it is with paperback because paperback has those victory point cards, which are the pulp novels. Mm. I know the robot's on there. I've seen the robot. I'm not sure if I've seen the damsel. And we should mention that damsel is not a damsel in distress. The damsel is someone who causes distress, like is yeah. the hardcore <laughs> kind of fighting. I love that. I love that, that kind of twist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like she's holding the knife. She's ready to go. So uh, <laughs> love it. Yeah. It's really cool. So the, yeah, the damsel, uh, more they, and they tell you what the difference is. So the damsel play style is more aggressive. Um, you'll be dealing poison damage. Uh, mm-hmm. If you use every letter in your hand, you deal a critical hits. Uh, you can do sneak attacks on enemies. So it's just kind of <laughs> like a rogue. Like if you're thinking about oh, RPG man. mechanics. Uh, whereas the, the robot is more defensive. It heals things. Uh, you can charge your laser and like blast a, a much bigger blast. Uh, and you can damage yourself to do, like power up a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. So everything's kind of thematic in that way. And when you play the game itself, it's like the core mechanic again, it's deck building and you're trying to play a word. That's what paperback is. If like if you've gotten this far in, you're like, what is paperback? It's a deck building game where you're spelling words with the cards in your hand. And every card that you successfully play will activate. So if you have a hand of six cards and you play four of the letters into a word, those are the four cards that do something. This introduces a splay system. So the order in which you place the cards, whether it's left to right or right to left, will determine which icons are visible. And those are going to determine what you're able to do. So there's icons on the left and the right side of the card, which is really cool. Plus Mm -hmm. an ability in the middle of the card that does whatever. Um, So that's pretty cool. There's also a hex and boon counter system that they've added to the game. So this allows you to kind of support different types of play styles without adding a ton of overhead to the rules, which is amazing because I hate when they all this like all this oh, stuff you have to track. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the reasons Aeon's End is such a good game is there's no tracking, right? Everything you need is on the cards and that's it. They don't like layer stuff upon layer. Sure. It's not Sentinels of the Multiverse where they're like trying to break your brain. Um, yeah. So I really dig that. And then it's a roguelike. So you're going to go through and you're going to face multiple enemies and you're trying to, I think there's nine and they break them down into books. And so each book is two enemies and then a boss and you can save at the end of each book. So the trilogy of books, all nine, is one game. So it'll take you, I think they said, two and a half to three hours to play through the whole thing, which is crazy long for a solo game. So they've broken it up into chunks of three. And then between each of these, you get to, you know, based on how you perform, choose new cards, choose the side of the card you want in the case of the MacGuffins, which are like special powers you get. You can upgrade existing cards. So very much like Slay the Spire, where you're upgrading your cards as you go along. Um, random cards from your deck, upgrade multiple cards, choose new items. So roguelike, you're powering up, you know, and it's kind of random how you do it each round, which is super cool because roguelikes are fun and they're almost infinite replayability. And this, this looks really cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm incredibly psyched for this. Uh, you sent this over to me earlier today and I had a vague inkling that this was out there in the ether. They talked about it, but I didn't know it was on Kickstarter yet. So 
you sent it over. And then a few hours later, when I went to look at it, I was like, yeah, give me, here's the money. Just give me the game. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. This is amazing. So yeah, instant back for me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. This might have to be one of those, one of our episodes where it's, you know, please help me not buy or back this because I'm not sure what to do with this. Honestly, like I, I saw this pop up and I went immediately to it because I was somewhat a somewhat an early adopter of Fowers, not as early as you are. Like I, I think I got hardback after you got paperback. So like you got paperback, I was like, oh, this is good. I'll get paperback, and then I got hardback as soon as it came out. And I've gotten most of their games afterwards. I haven't gotten the most recent Burgle Brothers, um, just mm. because Burgle Brothers hasn't come out to play much. So that that's the only one I think that I don't have. Maybe I don't have the flight one too, but. When this came out, this was interesting because this reminded me of so many different games. Like, as you mentioned, there, there's a solo element. We've seen a lot of those games before, a lot of the dice games, right? And then yep. where it's just going through the dungeon and you're, and you're rolling dice. But this also weirdly reminded me of, and I'm trying to remember what the video game was. It was something like typing of the House of the Dead or typing of the dead or something like I think that yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was that like educational kind of thing where it was a it was a it was a video game, but it was like if you could type well, you can kind of kill all the zombies. And I was like, why? Why would why? Oh, all right, whatever. You know, like who am I to say? Yeah, yeah. Like, sure, <laughs> that's a thing. So this was this reminded me of that. It's like you're gonna fight enemies by right by creating words, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I mean, you know, who am I? <laughs> Whatever. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm backing this or not. I want to back this because it looks great. And again, it also reminds me of role player where they took this kind mm. of like very simplistic, and I mean that in a bad way, but very streamlined system where you're basically playing a solo game of role player. You play with other people, but it's basically you build your own thing. And then they they said, you know that thing you did? That was basically just this one kind of mechanic. Now you're going to use that to fight monsters and stuff. And this seems like that's like that's that's what happened here. So um, it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't know if I'll back it, but it's interesting. I mean, Fowers is always pretty sharp. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm interested to see if his Mad Libs game actually works out. <laughs> you can borrow mine because I'm definitely getting All right. <laughs> okay, that's cool. All right. Well, talking about oddities, I wanted to talk about, you know, one of the most oddity oddities things that are out there. Now, if you are about my age, you probably remember way back in the day, there was a YouTube series back when YouTube was very young called College Humor. And it was one of the very few, you know, improv or skit based kind of like slapstick um, you know, college age again, obviously, kind of really funny group of individuals putting together comedy skits on YouTube when that wasn't really so big of a thing. They were well-produced. There was a good crew of people. They switched out as time went on. They were kind of like a little mini uh, Saturday Night Live thing going on. Well, over the years, they've kind of closed shops for, you know, whatever reasons and many reasons. And they kind of rebooted themselves a little bit with just basically one kind of gimmick and this was a game show that was called um actually and the idea was that as nerds we tend to correct each other on certain you know nerd type of concepts so basically they've decided 
I guess, a little late for them. I think they would have been more up to bore on this. But they actually have a Kickstarter. It's called Um Actually, the Game of Nerd Corrections. Finally, a board game version of College Humor's game show that you can play at home. So this is funny because those people are generally funny and because the content is stuff that's very specific for the stuff that we as a community really like. It's all that kind of very nerdy kind of fun stuff that we really enjoy. Now, what exactly is a game and should you be backing this, right? That's obviously the, the big question here. So basically this comes down to nothing nothing too much more than a trivia game. So basically as you go through the game, there is a variety of topics that, you know, that we as nerds love and they they have a number of different things so some are video game-ish some are sci-fi some are fantasy some are cartoons comics basically all the things that we think about when we think about that stuff um there's also in the deluxe edition you can get anime you can 80s and 90s stuff there's horror in there and there's also additional content for like college humor and what they call dimension 20 there's other stuff like that so basically someone's reading the question and there is something wrong. There's a highlighted section that is completely incorrect. So it could be something sci-fi or comic-based-ish. And then the contestants are supposed to correct them. And just like Jeopardy, instead of say, like, what is or who is, you're supposed to say, um, actually, it's this. So a lot of this is very, very specific kind of stuff where you may not get this right. There's some other stuff where it's just listing things and basically it's a lot of questions and a lot of whiteboards that you're going to be running on. And it's just a party game. It's just another kind of generic party game. But in this time, it is very specific to the kind of content that you and I might be really into. So this is currently on Kickstarter. So if you're looking for a game, a trivia game that is specifically for the stuff that generally nerds and uh, people who like this kind of humor are interested in, the deluxe edition goes for about $54, a little expensive for a kind of a trivia game that you could probably pick up at Target. But nonetheless, it still is something that's fun. It's still that's something that, you know, you could get to the table for the people at game night because you could play something light. If you want the general edition, it's $40. Um, not too bad. And again, this is a small community group of people that really do stuff that we love and have been doing that for at least a decade, if not longer. So um, check out, um, actually the game of nerd corrections uh, might be something that you want to pick up so you can play a game night. Wow. Wait, wait, I love how they're monetizing like the most annoying part of nerd culture. Um, they are. That's, that's fun. <laughs> did you, did you back for one of the props from the show for $500? I did not. I did that. See, the thing was, they they started the show, College Humor was on its last legs, and they started the show, which makes kind of sense that they would do this, and then they put this behind a paywall. And when they did that, I lost all contact with it. Not purposely, I just lost all contact with it, and then this, this game popped up. I'm like, oh, cool. They need money for things, which obviously they should, because they started producing content before Patreon and everything else that actually paid producers on youtube you know to make money was a thing so you know again like you said it's one of those kind of concepts that works for you doesn't work for you is the content you're like isn't it's a party game that's what it is <laughs> sure <laughs> all right so those are the games that we are thinking about hopefully those are the games that you'll be backing 
or picking up at some point or sitting at the tables at some point to play. Uh, Anthony, let's talk about the games that actually did hit the table this week, and we'll let everybody know if those games are a buy, and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are dodge, and they should avoid them at all costs, or if those games are the dreaded burn, and I'm actually, you shouldn't burn games because it's bad for the environment. You should just sell them or throw them in the garbage. So what do you have up this week? All right. Yeah, I got the new Stonemeyer game to the table a few times, uh, okay. Red Rising. So... Ooh. This is uh, designed by Alexander Schmidt and Jamie Stegmeier. And it's I've heard based Jamie Stegmeier. On... How's he doing? Have you? He's doing fine. <laughs> He's doing fine. He's got a he, lot of he... a lot of games people are talking about. He's an up-and-coming guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> guys, make, you, maybe you haven't heard of him, well. guys. Yeah, you, <laughs> you'll hear about him in the next few years. He's coming. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the... Eminable Jamie Stegmeier is back with a game based on one of his favorite book series, Red Rising. Now, right. I've read the original trilogy. There's, I think, two trilogies from this series. Um, sure. And it's kind of your, it's like super violent Roman Harry Potter on Mars, <laughs> if you want to call it anything, right? <laughs> so it's like this really poor, beaten down kid gets like brought up and sent to this academy. And there's this whole thing. And then it turns into a civil war where they're, overthrowing the hierarchy of, of government right um sure. and the basic idea of the world is it's mars in the distant future and society's been broken down i think into 12 different categories based on color so like the golds are the very top they're the bureaucrats the reds are the very bottom they live underground and they mine things oh and there's like every color in between you got like silvers and and they're like the the money people and the obsidians are like the security people and the blues and the pinks and the I'm not going to run through all of them, but that's basic idea of the game uh, of the book series. Right. So the game kind of takes that idea and it introduces a deck of several hundred cards. I don't know exactly how many, but it's a pretty good sized deck. And they, each of the characters on these cards corresponds to one of those 12 houses or mm -hmm. not houses. The houses are just the gold, but the categories of society and all you're doing really on your turn is you're going to start the game with five cards in your hand and you're going to play one of those cards down onto this tableau um, that's pre-seated at the beginning of the game. And then you're going to pick up another card from that tableau. So you're trying to build a hand of cards that's worth the most possible points. Um, and so there's a few things that go into that. One, each of the cards that you play has a deployability. And so it's going to do something when you put it down. You know, maybe you draw something, maybe you move something around, maybe you draw something else, whatever it might be. Um, then when you pick a card back up off of the tableau, you're going to activate the location that you took that card from. So there's four locations. There's Jupiter, which lets you move your fleet marker up. The further your fleet marker goes up, the more points you get from that. There's Mars, which lets you take one of these red tokens. Those are each worth points at the end of the game. Um, there's Luna, which gives you the Luna token, which then activates your personal house. Uh, which is like an asymmetrical ability that you have. These are not super interesting, but they are unique to every player. And so those, it might be like move the fleet tracker again or whatever, something like that. Nothing super exciting, but different. <laughs> um, and then the Institute, which is the aforementioned murder Harry Potter death house. <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, you'll put one of your, uh, your personal tokens in there. And that's kind of like an area control thing. And so the game ends when three of these different locations hit a certain point. Um, so I think it's seven on the fleet tracker, seven on 
the little Martian tokens or seven in the Institute, or if one person hits seven on two of them. And so that's your timer. It's your typical Stonemeyer. We don't know when the end of the game is. It's based on when people do certain things. So you have to pay attention to what people are doing. Like, oh, you have six of those. When you get your seventh one, the game is over. So I need to pay attention to that. Um, each of the cards also has like a base value to it. So they're like between five and 25 victory points per card. Uh, and the, the scores in this game are very high. A couple of games I played, scores were generally in the 200s. So you're going to score a ton of points. So if, you, if you're looking at something that's worth four or five points, whatever, because some of the things are worth 50. So um, the cards also have abilities at the bottom. And so these might be various bits of synergy uh, throughout the game. So like some cards will be like worth 30 points if it's in hand with these other characters. Uh, other ones might be, you know, worth 20 points if you have no red cards in your hand or worth five points for every brown card you have in your hand, stuff like that. Uh, some of them get more creative than that. And every single card in the game has a unique endgame scoring mechanism to it. So it almost reminded me a little bit of Point Salad in that way. You're like, every card scores in a different way. You're only going to have, you know, a few of them in your hand at the end. There is a way to get more than five. Like you could have up to seven, I think, because once you get over seven, you start losing points. But you don't have a ton. So you're just trying to build the best hand throughout the game to score the most points. So... That's it. That's basically what Red Rising is. And so if you know the book series, it's a lot of fun because you're going through, you recognize all these characters, like the different synergies between them is really fun. You're like, oh yeah, of course you wouldn't want any reds in your hand because this person's super racist. You know, like that kind of stuff pops up. But if you don't know the book series, as was the case with a couple people I played with, it's not super interesting. It really just comes down to the numbers on the cards and then finding the synergies and the names that match up, right? It is a very simple game in that way. There's nothing super complicated here. The three different tracks that go up that trigger the end of the game, they're not super thematic to anything. Like there's a fleet thing and you don't really know why there's ships because you have all these characters kind of running around on the planet. Uh, the Institute doesn't really explain what the Institute is. The red markers, I don't even remember what they are. They represent something, but I don't remember. <laughs> like, and that tells you something. Um, so like thematically, it's really designed for people who know these characters and know the series and know the books, right? It's not universal in that way. And it doesn't need to be necessarily, but it's a limited fan base because we're talking about, you know, a niche science fiction book series, right? Um, mechanically, it's fairly simple. You could teach this game in like five minutes. There's not a lot of overhead to it. Uh, you know, you just, you play a card, you draw a card back into your hand and you try to maximize the points. There is a bit of AP because people are going to read every possible card because at any point in time, you can have three different cards you could take back into your hand and that can people could get bogged down trying to figure out what's worth the most. Um, it doesn't seem to play as well at lower player counts because the cards don't cycle through as quickly on the board either, which you want them to. You want a different tableau of cards available to you as often as possible. But the flip side of that is the more players there are, the more random it seems. You know, and there are some cards in the deck, which again is pretty big. It's a couple hundred cards, which say like you get 20 points if you have Pax Telemannus in your hand. That's one card. <laughs> you know, it's somewhere in the deck. It may not come out the whole game, especially at lower player counts. So I'm not saying the game's imbalanced. I haven't played it enough to say that. I'm just saying it's one of those games where you may not see every card in the deck. And if you don't see every card in the deck, then some of the other cards you might have in your hand become useless, right? 
Like a lot of cards, for example, trigger off of the Darrow card, who is the protagonist from the book series. We played two games where the Darrow card never came out. So a lot of people had these cards that just didn't do anything at the end. Like they were worth their base points, but Darrow never showed up. So that's something to keep in mind. It's not broken, broken. You just might want to avoid those cards and then they become less valuable unless something pops up. It's very, very tactical in that way. So for me, I enjoyed it because I'm a fan of the book series. Knowing how other people have responded to this, though, it's just a play, like a light play. I'm happy to own it. I enjoy having it because I know these characters. If I meet someone else who's read these books, I'm like, we have to play Red Rising. But it falls into kind of a similar category of like the Expanse board game or the Jonathan Strange board game, where it's just fine. And it becomes a little bit better if you know the IP, you know, and you just want a great game that is great, regardless of the IP, like a Battlestar. This isn't really in that kind of category. So light play for me, um, relatively inexpensive though, like 30 bucks online. So if you do like Red Rising, if you've read the series and want to check it out, I do recommend it. If you have not, I do not recommend you pick this up. Uh, maybe track someone down who has it. That's interesting. Cause again, when you mentioned that there are cards in the deck that work off other cards, but there are circumstances where those cards may never come into play or maybe never come visible that is just straight up broken for me. But as you said, as long as you know that going into the game, it's somewhat understandable because again, it's maybe it's thematic. Maybe that, you know, you, the way the game is yeah. built. I mean, maybe that makes sense as far as like, is that character available? You know, do you see the opportunity for that? Are you pressing your luck, hoping that card comes up? But I would be annoyed by that. I would really be annoyed that I had this card and I needed another card. Because a lot of games do that. This is not the only game that just does this. There's a lot of games that yep. have like card sets that only benefit or have bonuses if you have another card. I, I could think of a dozen, if not two dozen. They're actually flooding my brain right now. There's so many right. of them. And they annoy the heck out of me. Because how, how can I tell if that card's going to come out? Why am I pressing my luck in that kind of case if pressing your luck isn't thematically true to the game um right I, I as you mentioned like if this is really such a, a wonderful series i would have liked to see a better game made but i'm glad i'm i guess i'm glad a game was made for it and that's it's fairly okay uh and then there, yeah. there's a need for that you know yeah for sure i'm just happy that people are making games that have like little known ips yeah and it's a very popular book series it's a new york Times bestseller but yeah Nobody I nobody I put this in front of knows the book series. So it's not like everybody's read it. Um, yeah. And I should clarify a little bit, like I'm making the Darrow reference. Almost every card that says you need a specific character has some other alternative, right? There's like a couple cards that'll say like one of these three characters. So really there's like three cards in the deck maybe. Or like Pax, for example, the Pax card I mentioned. It's like you must have Mustang or another Obsidian card. Sure. But the way those end up working together, like those specific ones that want characters to match up like that are almost always worth less points than if you just pick up one that says get five points for every copper or something like that. Like the synergies don't work at the same. Um, it is frustrating regardless. It's not like they're aware of it, I think, when they built it. But to your point, why are we still using that mechanic when we could maybe think of something else, right? And I, like I said, I've seen it in other games, so I'm not heavily faulting this. It just seems a little lazy. But again, it's it's a fairly uh, approachable system for someone who's not into board gaming, who wants right. to experience the theme or the series in a board game format. 
So I appreciate that. And I like the fact that, you know, fans of the book are able to get a game to the table of that nature. It's just a little sad because I, not knowing the series, I looked at that game and I was like, this looks amazing. And I want to back this. And I would have been disappointed because, yeah, you know, uh, so I'm glad that I, I'm glad to hear your review. You know, maybe one day I will come around and, and read the horrific Harry Potter, I don't know, Godfather-esque Game of Thrones kind of situation. But okay. All right. It, it, is, it really is like that. It's like Harry Potter and Game of Thrones in a blender. And it works. It's fun, but it's it's weird. It's a weird tone. Um, okay. By the end of it, it is very much just like Game of Thrones. It, it, you know, the, the they're all grown up at a certain point. And the second trilogy okay. is they're all adults and they have their own kids and it's a whole thing. But was that um, a teen, uh, teen series, Divergent or something like that, where all the different classes of people are fighting for dominance and something like that? A lot of those things. I don't know right? anything about that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of those. <laughs> this one's definitely. Kind of things. I think that. I think this one definitely ages out of the young adult class. It's more for adults. Just happens to have teenagers in it. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good book series. Y'all should read it. And then once you've read it, if you like it, check out the game because you'll probably enjoy the game. But if you've never read it, you're probably like, what is this? What am I playing? (laughs) I should package it with the book. I think it's a good idea. Jamie, get on that. Yeah, That's good synergy there. All right. So I want to talk about a game that was sent to me from... Our good friends over at Board and Dice, and because we're doing this podcast as also a video, I get to show it on screen. Look, I get to do things on screen Ooh. now, Anthony. Uh, this is Mandala Stones, and again, because this is a screen, don't worry, I will describe these things for you. I can actually show you the back of the box, uh, which kind of portray what's going on here, because it's a very abstract game, so there's not any real theme here other than the fact that these are artists using stones in order to put together these beautiful combinations. And this was a game that was, again, something I, as as not a fan of abstract games, who oftentimes have to get dragged, kicking and screaming to the abstract table to enjoy, a la Azul, for example, uh, Mandala Stones was an interesting kind of, you know, different kind of game. So basically the setup of the game is going to be a almost like a courtyard of stones that are randomly stacked up in sections of four. And there are going to be, you know, four different colors and they're going to have one of two different symbols on them. And both symbols are fairly similar. So that's, there's a little bit of confusion there, but they're going to be stacked up throughout. There are four neutral artist pillars, these little black kind of figures. They're just basically cylinders And basically on your turn, you're going to do one of two very simple things. You're going to move an artist to an area. That artist will have one of the two symbols on top of the cylinder. And then based upon what symbols on top of that artist, they are going to be able to take stones that match that symbol as long as another artist isn't on the other side of that stone. So it's almost like, hey, I'm looking at these things too, or I'm vibing with this kind of section. So can't take those but you can take the others you then take those stones and decide in what combination you want to stack them up on your own player board on your player board itself there is a number of different opportunities to stack up your stones in each of those areas there is a scoring opportunity so maybe you want to stack it up in a section that has the most diverse number of colors to score points or maybe the highest stack each of those different areas are going to have different scoring opportunities. 
throughout the game, you will build those areas up. You'll build up those different towers. So you put one stack, one stack, one stack, and they're all a different kind of combination of colors. What you're trying to do, ideally, not that it's necessary, but ideally, is you're trying to have your stacks all match. Because the other simple action you could do is score. Now, the score comes into an A part and a B part. The A part is kind of very simplistic, which is you just take the top stones off and score points. One point, one point, one point. But the more involved part of the scoring, which is what you're going to be doing 99% of the time, is you are going to choose a color. And by choosing a color stone, one of the four colors, you're going to be able to score multiple stacks as long as it matches the same color. So if you pick purple, you could score four different different pillars of stones that are purple. And then you look down on your board and see what the particular scoring mechanism is for that. And how does it relate to your, your tower? So you might be in a section that says, if you have four stones, you'll be able to score six points for that top stone. Great. There you go. And you're able to score multiples of those. Once you're done, you do something that's very similar to patchwork, where you take these stones and in a spiral kind of formation, you place them out on a joint kind of scoring board it's not your own scoring board you're going to keep your own score but there's another board where you place the stones out which will act as a timer and there are certain spots on the board that will give you additional points so there's a little strategy of when do i want to score because you might be able to get an additional one or two points like patchwork where you run around and you try to get those extra little small patches that will help you so basically that's the entire game you're just picking up stacks of stone finding when you think is appropriate and efficient and strategic to score those stones, score them based on your board, place them in that kind of main area, score a couple of additional points if you get lucky, and that's the entire game. Uh, Mandala Stones is just a very colorful, interesting, abstract game. This is a game that I would certainly sit down and play, and I'm going to give this game a play. I'm not an abstract fan. If I like an abstract game, it tends to be a very good abstract game because it takes a lot to get me to like an abstract game. And it's something that it plays from two to four players. It plays better at the higher player count because more of the stacks are kind of taken up and interacted with. So it's just something more that you want to take a look at if you do have the higher player count. Plays great at two, but four is probably going to be your better player number. And that's Mandala Stones. All right. Yeah, I have a copy of this here, too. I have not had a chance to play it, but I do like abstract games and I am excited to play it. I, I like the look of it. It's pretty um, and everything you described sounds cool. So I, I will probably get this at the table in the next couple of weeks myself. Yeah, I'll just warn you one thing about the game. Big box, very few components. So that will that will be a thing where it just it shifts into one edge and you're like, but why? So that that that's the only downside about the game. It doesn't reach a buy level just because I think for the price versus what you're getting in the game, you know, your your mileage may vary. This might be like, oh, I love abstract games. So I'll be interesting to hear your review, Anthony, as from someone who loves abstract games. That is this worth the buy? Does this meet like the kind of Azul criteria of paying this money for this kind of game? But I did like it. Right. So again, um, I would sit down and play it. So definitely check it out. All right, so that's everything that's going on with us and games that are hitting our table. Again, thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon.com by your support. Anthony and I are not only able to uh, you know, get these podcasts, get these videos out there to the public, but hopefully spread board gaming. So please share the podcast. It's the best thing you can do for us and especially for the board game community.
All right, let's get on to our feature review. So our feature review this week, of course, as we promoted at the very beginning, we are talking about the Spiritus Yaris nominees for 2021. We talk about it every year. It's, as Anthony said, the Oscars of board gaming, some of the most definitive awards out there. I think probably the most definitive award out there. I mean, we always give awards out for great games, but there's something about the Spiritus Yaris that's special and really brings a lot of attention to board gaming. So with that said, I'm going to let Anthony kind of introduce the categories and our nominees and let's see uh, if they meet the muster. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting list this year. I feel like the last few years we've had a lot of okay <laughs> responses <Yes. laughs> to, to the skill nominees. Um, I was pleasantly surprised this morning. I was like, okay, okay. I, I, There are games in here that I'm interested in. Uh, yes. So we will start off with the Kinderspiel because that is the one that they will announce the winner of first. Uh, this is the yeah. game. This is children's games. Uh, so, and they're generally very light children's games. Like I have a six and a nine-year-old and I feel like my nine-year-old has probably aged out of most Kinderspiel games and my six-year-old sure. is right on the line. So it's like they're literal very good, games. right? Isn't that the only thing we take away? They're very good. They're amazing. Yeah, like I've yeah. played, I think every Kinderspiel winner for the last three or four years I've picked up and the kids have enjoyed. It's just, I, I know like at least one of the nominees here we've played and they're like, okay, <laughs> you know, like they're starting to age out of it a little bit. Um, so the three nominees, uh, first up, we got Dragomino. Um, this is a new one from Bruno Cathala, Marie Fort and Wilfred Fort from blue orange games. Nice. I believe this was scheduled to come out last year um, at the summer convention season. It's a blue orange game. It's Cathala. It would have been a big deal. Uh, of course, there was no summer convention season. So I don't, you know, it kind of just flew off into nowhere. But I know it is available generally here in the States or it will be until it sells out <laughs> like every other Spiel nominee. Um, but in this game, you are a dragon trainer yourself and you have to... Um, you like go on your chance. You're trying to meet dragons. You're trying to go out and find them and, and train them. And it's a fairly simple pattern building type of game. So it's not like a matching game, but it kind of uses similar mechanics to like build the patterns out um, like five plus. And that's what most of these are like just very simple, basic level, but it looks cute. This is, this is like a King Domino, right? This is basically what this is. Oh, kind like of kids yeah. version of that kids version. A kid's version of King Domino is probably a good way to put that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I love dragons, and I and I really like King Domino. So yeah, I I play yeah. this with a kid. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I would too if my if my uh, kids are interested. Um, sure. The second one on the list here is Mia London and the Case of the Six Hundred Twenty Five Ground Rules. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's very specific. I have this one. It is very specific. I have this one. I picked it up last year sometime. And it's Antoine Bauza and Corentin Lebrat. And basically it's a deduction game. So you have, you're going to have these different types of cards that represent um, like different types of mustaches and different types of um, uh, like glasses and hats and everything. There's like four different types of things. And then you have this big book that you flip around. It's like cut into four pieces. And one person's trying to, Base, it's like a memory game based on which things are available. The kids can look at and see which items come up and which ones don't come up. And they're trying to guess what the accessories are that are on that um, 
it's really just a monster. I don't, I don't like it, it's supposed to be what you're catching. <laughs> up. You're you're going on this case to solve this case, but it, it's just like this weird looking gooey green pink monster. Um, and it's cute and it's a lot of fun. But I will say, my daughter who was five at the time, she got it on the second try and then got it oh, the no. two tries. So oh, no, <laughs> I don't I don't think it's particularly difficult. Yeah, but it was fun and she did enjoy it. So okay, it's. It's a weight of one. The community says four to eight. I think that's right. I think eight's probably a little high. Maybe four sure. to six, four to seven. So definitely like on the lighter end. Yeah, this is another one of those games that's just they the Speed of Shards does such a great job here as far as picking out quality games for kids. And again, in, in the US sometimes or more times than not, you see a lot of junk games. The production here is outstanding. The artwork here is outstanding. Yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. Like this is one of those things where yeah, I, I think that clearly they made this as bottom barrel, easy, simple as possible. It's just one of those things that maybe is good for a gift, you know, or just like you have in the house, just like look through it and laugh and just put it away again, I guess. <laughs> I was like, I, oh, I think if you have like, yeah, yeah, no, man, I think if you have like a three or four year old, it'd be perfect. You could probably get a couple of years out of it. I just think my kids okay. are at the upper end of the, the range. It doesn't make it a bad game. It just makes it, I don't think it's a four to eight. I think it's like a four to six. No. It's a, it's a really cute game. People should certainly check it out. Right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely could recommend it. We enjoyed it. It was fun. Yep. I'm glad I picked it up. Um, the third Kinderspiel nominee is from Marie Fort and Wilfred mm-hmm. Fort. Again, they also were designing with Dragomino, with Cathala. And that's Storytailers. Um, this is a storytelling game. And I don't know a ton about it, but it's got these beautiful little cards uh, with various types of animals on them. So uh, characters can take on various roles. It can be a knight or a witch or a ninja, which kids always love. Uh, <laughs> and then you're kind of working through this this story and using your imagination to think up different things based on the characters that come out. Um, mm-hmm. So I-, I love this idea of these kind of coordinated storytelling games. Like my kids love story cubes, for example, which are just dice sure. with pictures on them. That's it. Any game that kind of more formalizes that is fantastic. And that's what this looks like. I don't know if this is ever released in the U.S. yet. I don't think so, but um, I will certainly check it out when it does. Yeah, another great production of a game, another really brilliant idea for a game, and just to help kids kind of create that storytelling mode. There's nothing more important than that. Telling stories is what humanity is about and how we share information and ideas and creativity is essential, you know, especially that EQ, IQ kind of stuff at the same time. Yeah, this is great. I love the look of this. Yeah, and it's super cute. Like, the artwork is super cute. Yep. Uh, and then seven nominee, or recommendations, I should say, in there as well. Dreamcatcher, Hip Hop Hippo, Inspector uh-huh. Naze, Captain Color, Memo Friends, Swip Sheep, and Topic Kikoi. <laughs> um, what I will say, if again, if you're not listening to this for the first time, Kinderspiel nominees, when we go through these every year, they're almost always a bunch of things we've never heard of. And the recommendation yes. list this time, I've not heard of any of these seven. And yes. that's because in Germany, they release a crazy number of children's games. And then once they get recognition, they bring them over here to the States. Yeah. So we'll probably see some of these now that they've been, you know, called out and given recognition. Yeah. And again, these games, like I said, if I can make any, we, you know, we poke fun at Spielish Yards because obviously there's a, there's a weight problem as far as, you know, some of the games as far as where do they fit in a certain category? What's a family game versus what's a gamer game, but the kids games, again, 
like you could pick any of these games or the nominees and just be perfectly reasonably you know have all the kind of joy as possible with these they're great they're just great games yeah absolutely 100 mm-hmm. um all right next up we've got the Ketterspiel. this is the heavy games um i'm doing these in a weird order because the spiel des yards is the big one right so <laughs> yes so we got three nominees here. First up is Fantasy Realms from WizKids, uh, designed by Bruce Glasgow, um, mm-hmm. who also worked on Betrayal at House on the Hill uh, and Mystery Motive for Murder. So mm-hmm. an interesting collection of stuff. But the interesting thing about Fantasy Realms is that it first came out in nineteen ninety or I'm sorry, twenty seventeen, not nineteen ninety seven. That would be a long time ago, um, and it was just nominated this year. So probably just finally getting over to um, uh, Germany. There's also a new version of it coming out, so it's possible that's kind of how it's getting over there. But Mm -hmm. it is a card drafting and set collection type of game, almost a little bit like Red Rising, where you have all these different cards that have different texts on them that you want to draft and and build a hand with. Um, So it's relatively straightforward. It's light. It's a sub two-point weight. takes 20 minutes. So kind of on the light side for a Kennerspiel nominee, but... It's, I just found it fascinating that they're bringing a game that, and I know that's why it happens, is that it just hit Europe recently, but the sure. game's been out for a while. Yeah, um, I don't know too much about this game. I'm surprised I'm surprised it's here, but again, that's one of those things about this, how it just kind of lands there, and then eventually, if it does well, it comes kind of pops over here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a strange kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, anywho, uh, next up, we've got the big one, which yes. probably won't win because it's the most popular and that just never happens, but maybe it will. I don't know. This <laughs> game is, it's been super popular. It's like number two on Board Game Arena in beta, uh, and yes. that's Lost Ruins of Arnak. This is one of my favorite games from last year. It was in yep. my top five. I think it was like a runner up for our game of the year. Yeah, one of my favorites too. I don't know it's fantastic. It's yep. it's a deck building worker placement game, and it just does it all really, really well. And I love playing this game. Oh yeah, I, I think any other year that wasn't a COVID year with that basically shut things down, I think this game would have blown up big time. Because I think one of the sadnesses about this game is that the actual table presence, which is very hard to show online or on pictures. It's got great table presence. The, the the materials are good. The game components are great. The, the interaction's fantastic. Um, there just hasn't been enough out from CGE to show how great this game is. And it's really just right. a great game. So, um, and it's, I think any year this game would be great. And I love the fact that they recognize it here. Like you said, typically they don't take the games that we like that tend to be what we believe is a little more reasonable in the weight categories concerned. But this game has this game has no reason to be as good as it is. And it really is that good. Like it really does everything. Well, it, it, it kind of goes, we're going to do all these things. And we're like, Oh, that's going to be a nightmare. Nope. It does all the things. Love it. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. And they're working yeah. on more content for it too, which is exciting. Like they're working on a exciting. solo campaign right now and they're working on an expansion already. So yeah, no, love it. This game's awesome. Nothing. This, this for me at least, and I don't want to get into all the nominees, but if you play a game from any of these, this should be the game. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the last of the Kennerspiel nominees is Paleo. This is a cooperative game uh, set in the Stone Age with beautiful artwork. You've probably seen the cover with the mammoth and kind of the the 
art exploding out from his feet. Uh, and, and the goal of the game is, and there's multiple missions in it, but the main goal is you're trying to paint a woolly mammoth on the wall so that humans in the, in the future can know that you existed. You're communicating with the future. Uh, and it has different mechanics like deck building, memory, scenario, uh, cooperative type stuff. Um, so you're not hunting the mammoth, which is cool because that's kind of what you think first off when you see the cover. It's it's about recognize. I mean, obviously they were hunting the mammoths, but in this case, you're not necessarily. Uh, and it's cooperative, but cleverly so, and not overly. It's not super light, you know. It's it's in the kind sure. of in the middle. It's not like. You look at the game, you see the relatively simple artwork, you see the simple looking cards, you're like, oh, it seems like a light enough game. It's kind of in the middle. So uh, I'm happy to see this one on here because it's one of those co-op games where I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I haven't played this. I heard some problematic things for it because it's supposed to be the Paleozoic Age and it's all very generic modern white people for some reason. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's almost kind of a weird kind of mishmash of things. Uh, but again, it's a different type of game, a different type of, you know, mechanic and such. Um, so I like to see that as far as that's concerned, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, definitely, this definitely feels like if there was a game in that weight class, this would be the game. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that this might be the one that wins, even though it's not the one that I want to win, but I think this might be the one. I would not be surprised. Yeah, it, it looks like the kind of game that would win. <laughs> so Yeah, it seems uh, to have that weight. It seems to have that interesting kind of, like you said, co-op element. It seems to have, you know, that kind of toy factor. The art really pops really nicely. You know, as you said, it's a different type of game. I, I think that this would be what I put my money on this winning, even though I do want Runes of Arnak. That's, that's my heart goes out to that one. Yeah, yeah, same. Um Okay, cool. Yeah. So, and those, so those are your nominees. Those are the three nominees, the, uh, recommendations. So again, these are the games that weren't nominated, but they're like, Hey, you should play these two. Uh, we have barrage, which I was very surprised to see. Cause that's a pretty heavy game. That is surprising. Uh, yeah. My assumption is like, they probably really liked it. And they're like, this is too heavy to nominate. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, who, who let Bloomhaven's anonymous in here? Who, who yeah, said, I know. <laughs> who said they could put a nomination into this book? Get them out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was like the year Terraforming Mars got nominated. We're like, that's not going to win. What are you doing? <laughs> like, we did our job, man. We, we 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 stuffed the ballot box and we got it in there. So we did our job. That's all I'm saying. It's as much as we can do. Uh, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. So not going to get nominated because Gloomhaven already was. They're not going to do it again. Yes. But which every other awards thing is nominating it again, but. Thank you for the spiel for not doing that. Uh, Rift you. Force, which I don't really know anything about. It's it's data for 2021. I have not had a chance to play it or see it yet. And then Aeon's End, which I found fascinating because this is a game from 2016. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's a specific version of this because they release new content for this game about once a year. Or if it's just because it just now hit Germany this year. But... It's really good. It's a great deck building game. Uh, like I said, no tracking, pretty straightforward, nice puzzle. But yeah, that's a much older game kind of hitting the Kenner Spiel recommendation list. So what happened? It got lost in the mail? Is that what we're saying? That Probably, we're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this new game? Like, it's not a new game, guys. No, it's, we've never seen it before. Hey, it's new to me. We're, we're going to count it. So, yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's dive into the Spiel nominees, the big one. Here it is. Uh, Spiel mm-hmm. First up, The Adventures of Robin Hood. 
This is from Cosmos, designed by Michael Menzel. It is the sequel slash follow-up slash spiritual successor to Legends of Andor, which is one of my favorite all-time adventure games from Michael Menzel, who is a well-known artist, but also a designer of just these two games. So yes, (laughs) he's done all the Andor stuff, of which there's a lot, and then now Adventures of Robin Hood, which I'm eagerly awaiting. Have not gotten a chance to play it yet because it has not come in yet in the States, but I have it coming. I'm very much looking forward to it. It's one of my most anticipated games of the year. And now that it's nominated here, I'm even more excited because I know that people in Germany have played it and they must love it. So um, psyched for that to come in. Uh, next on the list, we got Micro Macro Crime City. Uh, we talked about this when we were going through the Board Game Geek Awards because it got a lot of nominations and some and some awards there. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of with the Where's Waldo gamified, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Robin Hood, is, like you said, Anthony, <clears throat> there was nothing really more to add to that other than everything about Michael Menzel. Um, unfortunately, it's been held up in Europe, so we haven't been able to get a copy and get it to the table. The macro micro macro game is a little, a little obviously straightforward. So again, it's one of those games that I clearly kick myself that I did not design myself because it's been around forever. Um, but clearly, a lot of love and effort were put into it. So from Pekaspiel, so that's it'll be interesting. This is an interesting year because those two games are complete opposites of each other. You know, right? <laughs> and then the third. Which is even weirder, uh, yeah. Zombie Teens Evolution. So this is a sequel to Zombie Kids Evolution, which is the is. number one children's game on Board Game Geek. Zombie Teens Evolution is the number two children's game on Board Game Geek. Uh, so if you've not played these, a lot of people have, and they're very good, apparently. Um, I actually have a copy of this one. I picked it up to play with my kids, and they just we haven't gotten it out yet. But it is a cooperative legacy game about fighting off zombies so the first one you're trying to protect the school in this one uh i don't know if it's a school or a mall or whatever it might be but it's the same kind of idea but it mixes a bunch of new mechanics in there's 14 Mm -hmm. mystery envelopes in the box or special missions you go on you unlock new content you can combine it with the first game and so it's like a 1.3 weight game but it's using all the mechanics from much heavier longer games uh to build it out and I'm fascinated sure. by it. I really want to play it. I want my kids to be excited for it. So um, I will probably get it to the table now. Like I'll force it in there a little bit yeah. and, and they'll probably enjoy it. But uh, just because it is nominated and I want to see what we're getting into. But I was a little surprised it's not nominated on the children's side because it is such a lightweight game and the community is saying six plus. So it is for kids. Yeah. But here it is as a Spiel nominee. So. And the Spiel nominees have always been like that's really cool kind of games like these are this is something right. very different something interesting and it, the game is i mean i have not played it but i would definitely be down to play that game because it, the production's off the production's better than most games i mean it's just right it's really great um if it wasn't for the kind of recycled zombie mechanic or zombie theming i uh, yeah i would be completely you know down and amazed by it but yeah, three really radically different games from each other. You know, uh, we always used to j- joke about the Origin Awards where they like, it's the best family party solo adult game. It's like, why? <laughs> no, stop. No, 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 no. And that's what this looks like. It's literally like, here's a kid's game that's super overproduced. Here's a Where's Waldo thing, which is literally 
look at a giant piece of paper until you find something. Not really a game, more of a game experience. And here's a straight-up game, like, fundamentally solid down the middle of the road kind of thing that you know and love. So, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? We you have a winner here? I don't know. Like, I know they like Menzel. I know Legends of Andor uh, was nominated before. I believe it won uh, the Spiel des Jahres. It won the Kenner Spiel, actually. So it sure. did win the main award. It won the heavier award in 2013. So I would not be surprised if they give it to Menzel because they're like, oh, it's a slightly lighter game. It's using a storybook format. We'll go with sure. it. But Micro Macro has been really buzzy everywhere. Yeah. So I think it's one of those two. I'd be super shocked to see Zombie Teens pick it up. But it would be kind of cool because it's such a weird out of left field kind of game it should be robin hood so therefore it's going to be micro macro <laughs> yeah one thousand percent yes <laughs> that's if you, you never bet with your heart when it comes to micro macro <laughs> i mean you just go along with the idea of just like should be this it's going to be that and and no and no offense to micro macro i mean my god what a brilliant idea and really what great artwork and and what a way to put a put a theme on that but it's just, I don't know. Like, I would love for them to have more categories. There, sh- there really needs to be a heavy game. I say this every year. It's the same thing every year. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Have a heavier category and have an innovative game category because Micro Macro should win that easy. It's yeah. weird that it's here. It's not bad that it's here. I mean, God will, you know, if it wins Spiel des Jahres, it's going to blow up. But, I mean, right. it should be Robin Hood. I don't, I'm sorry. It just really should be. And it, <laughs> I can't. I don't. Yeah. We do the we do the nominations because we can't live with the actual winners most years. I mean, last year wasn't bad, but yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. No. It's 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 always a challenge, but we'll see. I mean, we haven't played any of these, so we're like we're we're talking about this like we have a horse in the race, but no, I've played no none of the these games. Yep. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'll play Zombie Teens this weekend with my kids and be like, this has to win. Like, who knows? <laughs> like. I, I, uh, I think generally the idea is that the horse in the race that we have is should Spiel des Jahres actually, should their award nominees be a thing? And yeah, this year, I think they definitely should be a thing. I, I think it, it certainly was engaging and interesting and substantial. Their, their Kinderspiel is always amazing. Uh, Kennerspiel uh, is always painful, but Runes of Arnak, just that it's there. I give yeah, you yeah. like, again, I, I've already, I've, I've lost the will to believe that you're going to vote for the games that I want. And I understand that because you have your real categories and you are from the motherland. So you, you know what you need to do, but <laughs> could you give it to runes of Arnak? Could you give it to Robin hood? I'm just saying, just, just help a brother out. It's yeah. been a tough year. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any of the kids goods games are fine. I mean, maybe King Domino is, has already been there. So maybe we don't have to give it to dragon Domino, but Beyond that, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's it's good. It's all good. Uh, Mia London yep. or St- Storytellers, those are both great games. Either one's fine. Yeah, just saying. please do it. <laughs> I did. I did want to point out too a couple of games. Like so, the Spiel des Jahres group two also had some recommendations. Bis twenty haven't played it. I think it's only in Germany. Chakra, sure. which we have played, and we did on BBA yes. Live. We and did really enjoyed. That's a that's did a like that one. a lot. That's another abstract game that I I actually surprisingly liked. Yeah, yeah, so I, I would have loved to see that nominated, actually. Um, oh, yeah. Point Salad. Point Salad's a blast. It's very yeah. simple, but I really enjoy it, and it's just vegetables, and that's fun. 
right? It's that's a lot nothing. of fun. Like the game, own a copy myself. Yep. Switch and signal and the key sabotage at Lucky Llama Land. Uh, <laughs> don't know anything about the keys sabotage at Lucky Llama Land, but I wanted that's to say title. it because that's a fantastic that's a title. title. Switch and signal is a train game, a cooperative train game. I just that's cool. Like train games yeah. don't win anything, so that's that's no. cool just that it's in there. <laughs> Not until they make an 18 double X for kids and then that somehow will win. Oh my God. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this one is designed by like one of the designers who worked on Undaunted Normandy, War Chest, Castle. He makes big, heavy games and he's like, here's a, like a lighter train game. And people are like, yeah, woo, spiel. That's great. Well, again, congratulations to all the nominees. Again, beautiful, wonderful games. Well worth it. Well deserved. Uh, we hope that you all win, regardless of our own uh, particular weight class that we tend to pull for. But uh, again, another great year from Spielish Yars. We look forward to the results. We will follow back up with you and let you know which games win. But if you're interested in any of these games, especially the ones that are nominated for the actual award, you might want to look into picking them up now. Because if they win, they're going to disappear from the shelves right away. Yeah, they're, they're going to start disappearing now so oh yeah if you're oh, listening yeah. to this right now and you see it in stock buy it because you're not going to find it our next already been impossible to find yeah and any of these not any of these nominees are good so don't even worry just buy all of them and you'll be fine so. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> all right so that's everything for this week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you all see you at the table take care friends